Good morning, Dorisville. It is a privilege to be with you here today. Thank you so much for coming to worship here with us. We understand something, that there's a lot of churches. Uh, this is America, and this is kind of the southern or northern end of the Bible Belt. A lot of churches you could choose to attend, and you chose to come and worship with us, and we are grateful for that. Thank you for coming, and Tom, we're so glad to have you with us today. And by the way, let me go ahead and say this. Tom, if you don't mind, why don't you join uh, my wife at the end. Jesse, you can come along too, at the welcome counter. If you've got questions for Tom and his ministry, that would be a, gl- a great place for you to meet him. So gravitate there at the welcome counter. Ask him some questions. He'll tell you lots of stories. Great ministry going on down there in Nicaragua. Now, not only, by the way, are we hearing a song a week for the choir that goes along with Advent, and not only do our scripture go along with Advent, the devotion guide goes along with Advent. Each week, in the next four weeks, the sermon is going to center around the major themes of the, each week. Uh, for instance, this week is expectations. Um, next week is peace. I think the third week is joy. And then the last week, the 23rd, is love. So I really, really hope that you'll get that devotion guide and you will follow along in that. But today, expectations, anticipation, waiting for Christmas. You know, the year was 1941, and the world's in turmoil. Now, I was sitting there thinking, listen, I was sitting there thinking, and here's the deal. When I was born in 1954, if you go back 70 years, the Civil War was like a really recent memory. That makes me feel really, really old. Because what I'm about to tell you happened 70 years ago. Time has marched on and World War II is becoming more and more a distant memory. But it's 1941. War is raging already in Europe. And America is a divided country because some people believe we should get into the war in Europe and come to the rescue and be the Calvary, the guys with the white hat. And a lot of people are isolationists who said, we want nothing to do. We've had our belly full of war. We lost a lot of good men in World War I. We don't want to lose anymore. Well, the problem was solved. Well, what we celebrate this Friday. D, when we observe this Friday. December the 7th, 1941. The Japanese attacked our base at Pearl Harbor. And over 3,000 men and women lost their lives. And suddenly, America was plunged into a war it really didn't want, or most people didn't want. And for four years, it would rage on. That Christmas, 18 days later, a guy named Bing Crosby got on his radio show and sang a song that Berlin, Berlin, um, well, you know what I'm trying to say. Thank you, Urban Berlin. I never can get it out had written that year, and he's, here's what he said. He called the secretary, come in here. I've just written the best song I've ever written. And then he said, I may have just written the best song anyone ever has ever written. And Bing Crosby sang, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. And it was a song reminiscing about Christmases gone by when days were better. Over the next couple of years, the song just exploded on the charts as our men and women were living and dying on the battlefield. And they would hear this song and dream of better days. Dreaming of a white Christmas. Dreaming of the perfect Christmas. And then 1943, Ben Crosby sang another song. It, changed, it just climbed the charts instantly. 
I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents under the tree. And it goes on and says, Christmas Eve is coming where the love lights grow. I'll be home for Christmas. And you know what it's written for, don't you? The men and women who are still living and dying on the battlefield. They dreamed about a better day. They dreamed about a day when Christmas would once again be Christmas. We still sing those songs. And we still long for a good Christmas. We long for what Christmas ought to be. You know something? To this day, one of the highest rates of suicide occurs at Christmas and in the Christmas season. I, I do it. I, I have Christmas blues. I'm getting older now. It's not quite as bad, but... Christmas was like the highlight of my year. And I remember the day after Christmas, when it was all over, you kind of went, ah. And you had that blue Christmas feeling. And why is that? Why is it that we dream for this idyllic Christmas? And then when it doesn't happen, we're so disappointed. And the reason simply is this. That the Christmas of our dreams will never measure up. To reality. Never. But what if I told you? What if I told you there really is a Christmas out there that could not only measure up, but exceed your Christmas dreams? And that, dear friends, is the story today. As we talk about Christmas expectations, we want to take our Bibles and we want to turn to Isaiah Chapter 9, and I think we're just going to hit verse number 6. I intentionally was a little bit short in the message preparation today because I knew we had a full schedule. And then Dave said, you've got all kinds of time. I said, oh boy. So as sure enough, I said, we'll be shorter, we'll go longer. You watch, you know, that, that game plans out. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I don't think we'll get to verse 7, but Isaiah chapter 6, uh, 9, verse, chap- <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. All right? Now, here's what it says. And I've, used, I've chosen the Holman Christian Standard Version today for a particular reason. I'll tell you why in just a moment. Here he starts. He starts out with three words. For a child. Now, now maybe, maybe we need to rewind just a little bit. For a child. If, if you look back, just flip a page in your Bible or in your iPad. Do a swipe toward, back toward the front of the Bible. One chapter. And we have chapter 7, verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Two amazing things there. First, a virgin is going to conceive. But this, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translates, God with us. God with us. Now, there was some, because we're reading a prophecy and, and it's in covenant with the nation of Israel, they didn't get the full ramifications of what's going to happen about a, a thousand years later when, a, when Jesus Christ was born. But these are prophetic scriptures talking about that day. It wasn't just any child, and it wasn't just any birth. It was the birth of a child like no other. A child, a child will be born. 
And the way the Holman Christian Standard puts it is this. For a child will be born for us. For us. As in, now listen, stay with me, stay with me. As in, with us in mind. Have you ever got some presents at Christmas and you wonder what the person was thinking when they bought it? I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like, like you've been on a diet for three months and they give you two pounds of chocolates. Have you ever wondered about that? Sometimes, sometimes it seems that's the case. But then sometimes you get this amazing gift and you know the person just had you in mind. And you say something like this. Oh, it's exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I needed. That's the thought. When, when Isaiah wrote, for a child will be born for us, it was with us in mind that this child was born. Let me tell you why. Let me go back to the beginning of time. Let me go back to Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to read the scripture, I'll just tell you the story. So, God has, has created Adam and Eve, and they're living like crazy happy in the Garden of Eden. One rule. Now watch this. One rule to obey. Just one rule. Don't eat of that tree. Because the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Now, I don't think it was really the, the, the deal was the tree. It was if you ate the tree and God said no, you disobeyed. I think that's the big deal. And so don't, one rule, don't eat the tree. They were okay with that. Until Satan showed up. And he shows up and, and, you know, he goes, you know, did God really say you can't eat of the trees, uh, plural, in the garden? No, no, we can eat of the trees, Eve said, just not that one. Well, God's holding out on you. He knows the reason he won't eat that tree is because the day you eat that, you'll be like him. He's selfish and jealous. He doesn't want another God running around. That's why. So Eve studies it. She looks and says, you know, that is an incredible piece of fruit. What We always say apple. That's one incredible apple. And the more she looked at it, the more she desired it. And the Bible says she took it and she ate. And apparently, if you read the scriptures, Adam is not like watching the Super Bowl. Okay? He's not, he's not like in, in the chapel praying. He's not having this quiet time. He's like standing there. And so Eve gives to him, and he chooses to eat also. And that's where sin came into the world. And that day, in fact, Adam and Eve died spiritually. And we've inherited that in our lives ever since then. Every man, woman, and child is born spiritually dead. It's incredible. You ever thought about this? Eve chose self over God. Adam chose Eve over God, but God chose redemption instead of destruction. He would have been full within his rights to simply annihilate Adam and Eve and start over, but he didn't. Instead, he turned to the serpent and said, You are cursed, to Satan, you are cursed, and you need to know something that one day there is a Redeemer coming. And you may bruise his heel, but ultimately he will bruise your head. In other words, Satan needs to know something that one day a redeemer will come and you're going to wound him, but he will not stay dead. But I'm here to tell you, Satan, that you will ultimately be destroyed. 
And the reason, the reason why this is so huge, the reason, the reason is for a child will be born for us is so huge. It's because we needed a redeemer. And Jesus is and was that redeemer. Thousands of years later, thousands of years later, he came. But just, just moments later, moments later, the Bible says that, that God took Adam and Eve's feeble attempt at religion, their fig leaves, their, their leaves that they had, and took them off and covered them with the skin of an animal. Significance? Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there could be no remission of sin. The first sacrifice... Pointing to the sacrifice was made in the Garden of Eden. When God took an animal and killed it. Spilt the blood and covered Adam and Eve. And then, and then, every sacrifice that man would make. Every, every ram. When, when, when Abraham was told to take Isaac up on the mountain. And, and, and he was about to slay his son and God said, no, stop. And looked and there was a ram in the thicket. And he slew that ram in sacrificial death. Every sacrifice, every lamb, every oxen, every goat who spills blood one day said, Calvary's coming! There's a Redeemer coming! There's no power in the blood of a sheep or an oxen or a goat. But there is power in the blood of the unblemished Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. There's power there. And God knew that. And He provided a child for us. That would be Emmanuel. That would be God in the flesh. And it happened. It happened. The virgin conceived. She bore a son. He lived a pure and sinless life. And then age 33, after three years of public ministry, they took him and nailed him to a cross. And understanding, as Isaiah also said in 53, as a lamb led to the slaughter, knowing the cost of the cross, Christ allowed himself to be crucified. And he shed blood that redemption could occur. Paul said it. You know, not with blood of, of sheep and lamb. Uh, Peter said, not with silver and gold, but with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A child shall be born for you. A redeemer will come. A savior will come. And that's hugely important because, because we are depraved and lost and sinful. We all needed a savior. Then he says this. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us as in a gift. Judy will buy me a present for Christmas. She will pay for it. It will have my name. And someone will reach on the Christmas tree and give it to me. And that gift becomes mine, becomes mine personally when I reach out and take it. It's not mine when she writes the check at the department store. It's not mine when she puts it under the tree with my name on it. Because, let's be honest, I may send it back to the store without ever opening it. It may be on the tree, I never open it. But the day I pick it up, 
take it in my hands, rip the wrapping paper off and go, oh, honey, how incredible. And by the way, husbands, that is the right response. No matter what she buys you, she buys you pink undies. It's the right response. How incredible. A child is given to us. Paul later wrote in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, he says, the wages of sin is death. What, what happened in the garden was death. What happened in the garden when Eve chose uh, you know, self over God and when Adam chose uh, Eve over God? What occurred was death. And what will ultimately happen is if you don't receive Christ, if, if the gift is not received, taken from the tree and unwrapped personally by you. You'll spend eternity separated in a place called hell. But I want you to know something today that God did everything possible for that not to happen by providing his son, Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. But, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I've yet in my lifetime of 58 years... A guy who I'm pretty sure whose love language is presence. I've never said these words. Let me pay you for it. You don't pay for a gift. You simply receive it. And to, in our natural state, we are dead, spiritually separate from God. But God sent the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And says, even though the wages of sin is death, I want to give you a gift. And that gift is eternal life. Living forever and living here like you've never lived before. How incredible. How incredible. Have you ever got a gift you really said that about? How incredible. If you're a believer today, you've received that gift. How incredible. And if you've never trusted Christ, but what I'm saying today makes sense to you. Something in your heart today, something in your heart today is saying, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. You are the person who right now are separated from God and one day will be eternally separated from God unless you unwrap the gift. We'll talk about how to unwrap that at the end. He's talking to you. Don't miss the most incredible gift there ever could be. The gift of forgiveness and relationship with God. Forgiveness and the relationship with God. A child will be born for us. A son will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Oh, this is powerful. See, the power of the gift is in the gift itself. The nature of the gift. When, it, when he said that the government will be on his shoulders, there's two things. He's indicating that there will come a day when this son of God will rule. And he will be able to rule. Have you ever noticed presidents? They come into office like President Obama. Four years ago, he had nice black hair. Not very much of it, but he had nice black hair. Have you seen lately? Gray hair. It happened with Bush. It happened with Reagan. It happened with everyone. You know why? It's the responsibility of rule. Can I tell you something? Jesus doesn't have any gray hair. He is a ruler who's able to rule. He's a ruler who's able to rule. And I'm telling you this because some of your lives are like this. I know a ruler who can put order in your life. 
I know a ruler who can bring a, a system to your life, a spiritual system to your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the burden of rule. See, when we try to do our own thing, listen, there are way too many believers in this room today, you're trying to do your own thing. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, but your theology is this, God, I'll call you if I need you. And you've got gray hair because you're trying to rule and you're not fit to rule. And the burden of life is weighting you down. You're weighted for no apparent reason. Because if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He already wants to be Lord. He should be Lord. He should rule in your life. Let Him take the burden of life off of you. Jesus Himself said, Come unto Me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the child. That's the wonder of Christmas. That we sinned against holy God. That we needed redeeming. And the Redeemer came and he died. And yet God wants to give the incredible gift of eternal life. But that's not even the end. Then Isaiah goes in and gives us some descriptive names of this coming Messiah that we know now as Jesus. You know, have you ever, if you're a mom and dad, and you brought something really cool for your kids, and they don't know it, and, and you do, you kind of go like this. You know, your kid's going, it's going to be a terrible Christmas this year. I just know I ain't going to get what I want. And you done got it in the closet. And you kind of smile to yourself and say, son, you just don't know. And see, the father knows because he already has the gift. When I was in sixth grade, I already gave this poor pity party about we weren't exactly rich and we weren't. When I was in sixth grade, you know, the older you got, the later you got to stay up on Christmas Eve, you know. So I remember it was like 11 o'clock. And when I'm sitting there visiting with the adults, you know, all the family would come to our house. We only had a two-bedroom house. And all I mean, there were seven brothers and sisters, don't forget. So we'd all pack in there and sleep on floors and stuff. And finally, I think it was Mama who said, Son, why don't you go ahead and go on to bed? I said, Oh, no, I won't stay up. He goes, Santa Claus might be bringing you something. So I went on to bed. And the next day I got up. And, you know, we all went in there, and I'm sitting on the couch, and, you know, just waking up. And then finally somebody said, hey, now this was common language back in our house. Go get Daddy a cup of coffee. Now, it wasn't a suggestion. They, they, it, was, it was a go get Daddy a cup of coffee, like go get Daddy a cup of coffee. So I get up off the couch, and if I remember, I didn't tell you, I was sitting right here, and the dining room was in here, and I walked in that room and fell into a brand new... Ten speed, red with chrome fenders, with the generator on the wheel, and a headlight, brand new bicycle. And I went, oh, son, for the very first time. For the very first time. I was literally blown away. Mama knew it when she said, why don't you go on to bed? See, I knew Christmas was special. I just didn't know how good, how special it was. And I'm telling you, many people in this room today don't really know how good and how special Christmas is. Because you never got the gift. 
You never got your 10-speed red chrome fender generator light from God. And His name is Jesus Christ. He ain't religion. He ain't church. He's the living Son of God who died on a cross that we could have forgiveness of sins. That's what I'm talking about. Now, that will create expectation when you begin to understand that. So here's what he said. Knowing the Father explains the significance of the gift. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Now, it doesn't matter. Some translations have Wonderful, comma Counselor. They give five names instead of four. It does not matter. I'm, I'll tell you this. He's Wonderful, and He's a Wonderful Counselor. I ain't hung up on that. He's Wonderful, and He's a Wonderful Counselor. See, I'm talking about someone. Now, listen. Believe me today. Now, now again, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I'm describing the, the person that God sent to redeem you. But if you're a believer today, be affirmed in what I'm fixing to say. Because you need it. God's Word says, this child that we know now is Jesus Christ, this Messiah, this Redeemer, not only redeems, but He's a wonderful counselor. Listen. Nine men that we know of in our church lost their job when Mill Lake closed. That's tough. Come on, that's tough. And you say, what do you do? I know a man who's got all the answers. I said, I know a man who's got all the answers. And it doesn't start with an O, as in Obama. It starts with J for Jesus. It starts with I for Emmanuel. It starts with P for Prince of Peace. And you need, listen, you need today a God who has answers. Now, it may not be the answer you want. But I will tell you this. He's never made a mistake. Check this out. Check this out. Read your New Testament. Here's what you will not find. You will not find Jesus calling a business meeting or a posse, his posse together and say, boys, I don't know what to do. What do you think? Do you find it in the Bible? Do you find the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords saying, hey, guys, I don't know what to do. What should we do? You know why? Because he always knew what to do. Because he's a God who has all the answers. He's a Savior who has answers. That's why you ought to read this. There's a lot of answers in this book. A lot of the things you're wrestling with in life, in the book. In the book. Wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Not only does he have all the answers, he's got all the power. Now, now, don't blow past that. If I've got all of Brent's money... I'll take what you got, Bubba. It don't matter. I'll take what you got. If I've got... Now, watch now, watch now. If I've got all of Brent's money, how much does Brent have? How much? Okay, okay. If God has got all the power, how much does the devil have? Whoa! Bingo! Bingo! If God's got all the power, He's omnipotent, He's mighty God, all-powerful. The only power that Satan has is that is what delegated to him for the purposes of God. 
Now see, I'm telling you, I cannot explain Willow Lake to you, but my father was sovereign. I can't explain car wrecks, but my God is sovereign. I cannot explain cancer, but my father is sovereign. I know that. The only power Satan has is what God says. I'll give you a little bit. Read Job. Satan could not do anything to Job till God said, I'll give you this much. And it's always for the purposes of glorifying God. Always. Mighty God. He goes on. He says, not only mighty God, but eternal Father. Eternal Father. Alpha and Omega Father. The beginning and the end Father. You know, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. See, that's, what, that's what's so beautiful about this scripture written hundreds of years before Jesus came. The reason he, one reason he could say because of eternal Father is because Jesus was God's representative on earth. It's like a mirror image. You know, I went, we did Blanche's service, celebration service this week. And she went home for Christmas, by the way. The ultimate, I'll be home for Christmas. Not in her dreams, baby. She's there. She's there. And if you looked at Blanche, and you looked at some of the children, you knew they belonged to Blanche. Because they looked like the father, like the mother. Jesus didn't just look like the father. He had the exact same attributes of the father. The fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. That's the kind of present you want. Wouldn't you like to know that really God was on your side? You know, it's good to have a strong father on this earth. But can you imagine having an eternal, omnipotent, powerful, all-knowing God as your father? And knowing no matter what you face, you could say, and this is not irreverent because of the scripture that says, Abba, Father, Daddy. Hey, Daddy, I need your help. And that's always. That's always. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of But you got to come back next week for that. <laughs> Nothing today. You come back next week, and we're going to look at the God, Word of God, and we're going to see what the Prince of Peace can do for the wars in your life. We're going to look and see what the Prince of Peace can do about the storms in your life. Don't miss next week. Coming back. So let me ask, ask you a question. Are you ready to come home to Jesus? If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ. Now, I am not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about one time I quit drinking and doing drugs. I'm not talking about, you know, I got baptized in some cold water. I, I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you that. Has there been a point in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only redeeming factor between you and God? If there has not, man, have we got a deal for you. Today you can leave this room in full relationship with the creator God of the universe. You can leave here today and call him honestly Father. You can leave here knowing that whatever happened in your past, and y'all got a past? I've got a past. Whatever happened in your past is forgiven. And whatever happens in your future 
is forgiven. No matter what you did, God's grace is sufficient. I mean, I don't care. You name the sin, and God can forgive you today if you will but trust Jesus. How do you do that, Dwayne? This is one of the big wrestlings that I go through today. I honestly believe there's not a magic formula. I don't think there's a sinner's prayer that you've got to pray exactly to get it right. If you don't pray exactly right, oops, you missed it. But prayer is a way that we can communicate to God our desire to receive this great gift, to unwrap the present under the tree. You know, Ron Reed once introduced me to this, and then, then I kind of adapted it a little bit, but it's ABC. One you need to admit today, admit to yourself, by the way, but more importantly, admit to God that you've sinned. Now, now all of us have sinned. I keep telling people, if you're looking for a church for sinners, welcome home. We, we preached about 300, 350 every week. Every person here has sinned against holy God. There's no perfect people in this church. Amen? There's not. There's not. So we, you need to admit that you've sinned against God. Honestly, understand, I have sinned against holy God. And believe that's a big problem. Because that means you are eternally separated from Him at this point. You've got to be. You've got to believe. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ was a child given for us and a child given to us. Believe that He was, was, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and died a sacrificial death. That this is not a myth. And by the way, history supports this. But, but that this was a fact of history. That God himself, now just let this soak in, that God himself in flesh was nailed to a cross somewhat similar to this. And he bled and died, and then the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He willed himself to die. They couldn't kill him. He was God in the flesh. He gave his life up. But before he gave his life up, he cried out this, it is finished. It is finished. The price had been paid for redemption. Believe that. Now, I do this every once in a while, and there's no better illustration I can think of what it means to believe. You know, that's a chair, and my brain says that's a chair. And with, with all my head, I believe that, that chair will hold me up. If I put my weight in that chair, it can do what I think it can do. But until I sit down and put my weight, at this point, I truly believe in the chair. At this point, I truly trust the chair. It's not enough to say, well, yeah, I, I believe Jesus really lived. And yes, I really believe that he died. And yes, I really believe, I really believe. You know, the Bible says, James says, that the devils believe and tremble. You've got to put your faith and your trust in what Jesus Christ did. Understanding that, listen, you can't give enough money. You can't go to church enough. You cannot do anything to earn God's forgiveness. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. You've got to believe that. See, then that's hard because there's this giant scale theory. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. If the scale of eternity tilts in your way, then you go to heaven. If it tilts against you, you go to hell. There is no giant scale. There's a cross. There's a cross. And on that cross, the Son of God died. That you could have forgiveness of sin. But you've got to unwrap the present. The price has been paid. 
The gift has been purchased, but it doesn't become yours until you unwrap and take the present. So we got to admit, we got to believe, we got to confess. We got to tell God, okay, God, and this is where prayer comes in. God, I know I've sinned against you, but I want you to know I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I believe that He died, and I believe He can forgive my sins. And I ask Him to. I ask Him to. But I call that C squared. Let me tell you something. In this country, we have taught that Jesus is a fire escape. All I can do is pray a prayer. I'm on my way to heaven and go live like hell. It ain't so, folks. Because that second C is commitment. Not to stay saved. But out of pure love and devotion to the one who died for you. Commitment. And by the way, that's not a bad deal. I've been a Christian now for 37 years. And it has been one incredible ride. It's not a bunch of rule keepers and all that. I'm telling you, faith in Jesus Christ is the greatest decision you will ever make. But it's got to be your decision. It can't be grandmama. It can't be your mama. And it can't be your wife. It's got to be you. And we close, we close this service today with what we call a time of decision. And here's the decision. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Now, you don't have to walk forward. In fact, I'll be hanging around the green shirt guy or maybe a friend that came with you today or maybe your mom and daddy. And you realize that I have sinned and I'm separated from God and I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. We'll be glad to talk with you, try to answer some more questions. Brent's going to be standing down front in a minute. I'm going to have everybody close their eyes and bow their heads so only you and God and me are looking. Okay? And you can say, Brent, I want this gift. I want this gift. I want to unwrap it today and claim Jesus as my own. And we will talk with you and we'll pray with you and we'll tell you what the Bible says about having eternal life. It'd be our privilege. Have you ever, after Christmas, heard what people got and you said, wish I'd got that. (laughs) Wish I'd got that. Don't leave today saying, I wish I'd had that. Because he is a whosoever will God. He knows you. He loves you and wants to forgive you. But you've got to take that. And real quickly, one minute. To my brothers and sisters, some of you need to come home to Jesus. Some of you need to come home to Jesus. You're a believer. You know you're a believer. But you also know this. There's some junk in your life that should not be there. You know that. It's hurting you physically. It's hurting you emotionally. It's hurting you spiritually. It's hurting your family. It's hurting your reputation. It's hurting your job. Come home. Well, why not come home? Kind of the same way. You admit to God. You admit to God that, that you've messed up. And you don't need to be resaved, but you admit to God that you sinned. You confess that to Him. You turn from that. Repent of that. Then you believe that He forgave you. And you get up and you go. You get up and you go. You get up and you go. That's it. That's it. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? God's good, isn't he? You know, it's like, it's like the Christmas story. You know, it just never grows old. It never does. When I think of the cross and what Jesus did, guys, it still stirs me and it stirs you, doesn't it? If you've ever experienced it, it still stirs you. That's the passion. That's the passion. I'd like to pray for us today and 
I know, and again, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one look around, please. But I simply want to do this. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you know you're separated from God. You know the gift has been bought, but it's still in the tree unwrapped. I'd like to just pray for you. I promise you I will not embarrass you. I will not call you out. I will not even approach you. But I would like to lift you up in prayer today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you please just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Is there anyone? Is there anyone? Anyone? I see no hands. I see no hands. But you know what? I know it's hard to raise a hand. So I'm still going to pray. I know that as believers, I don't need to have a hand raising for that. That some of us have some issues. I know that. But I'll pray for us too. Now God, your word is totally incredible. Unto us and for us, a child has been born. A son has been given to us. And he is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. Thank you, God. For my friends here today who maybe could not raise their hands or maybe they're listening on the radio today. I pray, Father, may they unwrap the gift. May they unpackage the gift today and receive the greatest gift ever. For my brothers and sisters, God, we issue, we struggle with issues in life. Areas where we are not surrendering to you and it's hurting us. You want to give us a gift too. And that's renewed fellowship with you. Help us to lay down every issue of our lives, every area of our lives that we have wrestled with. And lay them at your feet again, Jesus. This time of invitation, we give to you. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.